So this Sunday, if I'd known how Metro was going to look today, I would have changed my whole talk. I would have ditched the altar, and with all these amazing beach balls, I would have done something around, you know, stoning people to death or something like that. And we could have all just like had a moment where we all just like, well, nah, let's just stone the sin in our lives. I don't know, prophetic beach balling. Um, that's so dead. Don't believe I said that. So today we're on the third week of our series, Altars, and we've been looking at different points in time where God alters and people build altars. So every time God did a significant moment of bringing about alteration within um, the world at large and on a macro scale and also on a micro scale, people tended to build these altars as like a, a, a point of reference geographically and in space and time that others who would hear about it would know this location is where this happened and this meant something and then you would have your own opportunity to encounter and become a part of the message at that particular place. So the first couple of weeks we looked at Noah because as soon as he got off um, the ark, the first thing he did was to build an altar. His first thing to do was to say thanks to God because he was so grateful for the opportunity to, for things to start afresh and to build a new hope and a new, a new frontiers. And then we looked at uh, Abraham and how he built an altar and God had, actually hadn't really done anything. God had just said to Abraham, oh, by the way, this land you're passing on right now, I'm totally giving this to your peeps. Your descendants are totally getting this land. And then he goes, Abraham, moving along. So it's like Abraham's looking for a place to settle that God is calling him to. God tells him that's the land and then says, let's keep it moving. Like sometimes we get so hung up on what God has for us that we don't want to um, continue to move with him because sometimes, although he shows and reveals that to us, it's not our final destination for here and now. And so then today what we do is we move on to a completely different story and we look at a guy called Jacob. Jacob is one of my favorite um, people in the, Bi- in the Bible. His birth pretty much signifies how his life is going to go down. He's born just behind his brother Esau. Esau comes out and Jacob is, is grabbing onto to Esau's heel. It was like wrestling within the womb to try and get out ahead of his brother. His brother gets out first. And the kind of picture is within their, their significant community and their worldview and the way they looked at the world was there was a birthright that you would get for being the firstborn. There was a blessing that went with that. And the story kind of is that even in the womb, there was this wrestling to get a hold of, of the blessing that was there and that Jacob was trying to get something that wasn't necessarily destined intended for him. And so he was clinging onto the heel and he comes out and he's born. And because of that, he's literally called Jacob, which means heel grabber. So he's named around the birthing experience that he has. Esau and Jacob grow up. His dad um, absolutely kind of idolizes Esau, sees Jacob a little bit lesser, but Jacob's mum loves him more than the other one. And so there's this kind of constant sibling rivalry. I'm an only child. I don't know what that's like. I'm sure there's loads of you here though that are sitting there going like, oh my gosh, already you can relate to what I'm saying just because I've said sibling rivalry and you're like, oh yeah, they always get away with it. I'm the middle child. I get overlooked. I'm the first child. Like the youngest one gets away with everything. I'm the youngest one. I think, I think life's so hard, but actually they don't realize how great it is. You know what I mean? It's just like no matter which position you came in, you're, you've got something to moan about. And so these two, there's this tension between them that exists the whole way through their lives and so what happens is as they grow older um, Esau's more of the the guy's guy man's man kind of thing the hunter he's out and about he's about that life he's on the ends he's on the road and he's he's doing his hunting thing Jacob's kind of at home he's making this kind of like soup Um, no ratings from dad for that Uh, mum loves it bit of a Jamie Oliver culinary chef brilliant totally digs it so he's doing this soup the soup is banging 
Esau comes home absolutely knackered. He's exhausted because sometimes hunting can take a lot out of you, especially at the time period we're looking at here where the techers did not exist. <laughs> it was really hard work. Um, it wasn't like flipping bear traps around the place, like catching deer. Oh, great, let me go back to that trap I just laid while I read the latest... I don't know, New Scientist magazine. So, like, that's not what was going on for him. He was having to work really, really hard. He comes back, he's absolutely done in. He's caught something, but, like, great, you've caught it. You can't exactly eat a live animal. You know what I mean? Or you've just killed it. You can't just go, great, raw meat. Let's chew on this. So, because of that, he has to cook it. That takes time. He's exhausted from the hunting, so he basically goes to his brother, oh, man, I am totally starving. Like, I don't, oh, I feel like I'm going to pass out. I'm feeling faint. I've put so much into this. I am done. And so he starts making these stupid kind of conversation, over-the-top expression that he doesn't really mean, but kind of throws it out there. And Jacob snatches onto it. So he's like, man, oh, that soup smells so good. How many of us know, right? Food is so much better when you're hungry. Who's been out like on one of those like 3 a.m. party nights and all of a sudden the world's dodgiest kebab place <laughs> and you eat it and you're like, this, this, this is of the gods. This is amazing. I've done that with my friends. We've had these chicken burgers. And we're like, these are the greatest chicken burgers of all time. Went there on a Saturday morning. Never do that to yourself. Went there Saturday, went there for lunch, had a chicken burger and like literally just went straight in the bin. It was like, oh my gosh, what did I pollute myself with last night? It was foul. And so he's like, this smells so amazing. The senses are alive because he's so hungry. And he goes, I'd give you my birthright for that soup. I'd give you the blessing for that soup. You can, you can have it, man. I, I need it. And so he does it. He gives it to him. And so then it comes around to the time. Dad's getting really old to the point where dad can't really see too well. Um, and it's coming to that point of like giving out this, this blessing that he wants to give. And so Jacob does what Jacob does. He's a bit dodgy. He's still onto that, grabbing onto what's his kind of lifestyle. He covers himself up in hair because his brother's hairy. It uh, makes us smell like his brother with like the like kind of hunting juices of the animals or whatever, you know what I mean? A bit like, I don't know, like the walking dead when they cover the walkers' guts all over them so that the walkers, the zombies, like don't realize they're alive or whatever and they just go straight past them. He does that. And so his dad's like, is this my, mm, I'm not too sure, oh, okay, yeah, really hairy, must be, goes with it, gives him this blessing, Esau is, is, he's vexed, he, he is so unbelievably vexed, I mean to the point where, like, he is, re- he's probably ready to kill his, his younger brother, he's ready to, like, to end him, and so Jacob gets, like, shook, um, and he, he, he runs away and he leaves, and he goes off from there living away from his family and part of the reason he does that is because his dad gives him some some words of wisdom with his blessing he's like you need to go now and you need to go and get married and he goes I don't want you to get married to the Canaanite women I don't want you to get married to people basically of the relation of his kind of ish brother but not really his brother Ishmael so we know the story of Abraham Abraham's got this kid that's promised to him um, doesn't believe that God's going to do it anymore, so does ha- so gets bow 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 with the the servant has the child through her. There we go, I've got a child, Ishmael. But God goes, no, I really remember promise you're going to have it with Sarah. So there's this other kind of side of the family tree that's kind of a bit cut off in a way and meant to be separate. And so Isaac's saying, listen, you don't go get a wife from there. You don't. You leave that there and you go back and you go to 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 Laban and 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 you settle there for a bit and you get your your wife from, from, from them and you keep this moving and so Jacob who he doesn't know is Jacob gets this blessing gets this advice and so he 
Then here's how his brother could kill him. He flees for his life and he goes and he settles there and finally he gets a piece of his own medicine coming back his way. But before we look at the piece of medicine that comes his way, in the story we always talk about how Jacob has stolen Esau's birthright. But actually he doesn't just steal his birthright, he steals his whole life. It's identity theft. Not just in the fact that he puts the hair on him, not just because he makes himself smell like it, but he receives the blessing that goes with the identity that Esau had as the firstborn. He steals his identity. It's a 419, done no. That's what he does. It's a 419 we're talking about in this story. He's, he's stolen his identity, and then what he does is he goes to live the life, taking the wife and living the life that was destined to be Esau's life. And the reason he stole Esau's life completely is because Esau was living right. He was, he was in a cool place, with a good place with God, a good place with his family. Everything was going right for him. In this moment, this moment is so scarring. This moment is so hurtful to him. This moment is so, it just breaks him and it changes the whole course of his life because he hears the last part of the blessing. He hears his father say to him, you go to this place and you get your wife from here. Don't go with the Canaanites. The first thing Esau does, the first thing Esau does, he goes straight to Ishmael. Not to Isaac, he goes straight to Ishmael. And he takes one of Ishmael's daughters to be his wife. So Esau, who's towed the line the whole way, in this one moment where things go horribly wrong in his life, he can't cope. And he just, he goes completely off the rails like a crazy teenager who just goes from like top A student to on the ends, out and about it. That's pretty much what happens with Esau. This one thing happens to him and it hurts him so bad. And I think so many of us can kind of take a lesson from Esau because sometimes life goes really well for us and it just takes one thing to happen in the week where you go, okay, well, if that's what the world is, then that's it, I'm, I'm done. Which was kind of me yesterday when I watched Jurgen Klopp allow Clavan to play in centre-back for Liverpool <laughs> against Fernando Loriente. And I'm like, why do we have our tallest defender on the bench against the tallest striker, tallest man on the pitch, and we lost 3-2? And I'm fuming. And I'm like, if that is how it's going to be... Oh, wait. Wait, I've got to preach about Esau tomorrow. I need to not be about that life. Like, I had to... I had to, I had to suckle myself, man. I had to like chill, like, oh yeah, jam your hype, Andy, man. It, it, it happens. But oh, I was fuming yesterday, and it was such a little thing. It sounds stupid, but you don't understand how Liverpool losing stupidly irritates me. I don't mind losing straight out, but when you lose stupidly, I'm like, oh. And then in life, things happen to us that sometimes aren't nothing like that, but they're really big things that hit us, and then they just change the whole direction of our life it causes a paradigm shift causes it's like a catalytic moment that just changes the direction where we're so hurt by it we make bad decisions and so i want us to stop before we even get to jacob's altar and i want to highlight esau that actually we have to be people who are able to take the the tough moments in life and when we look at jacob we see exactly that yes he's stolen here and he's got it all going for him and he feels like he's making it rain and he's living life but when he gets to go to have his wife, this is where it all comes back round to him and it comes back on him because he sees the woman he wants to marry and he's on it. And basically in those days, yeah, it's not an easy link-up thing. You, you, the, the price you would pay for, for a woman that you pay to their, their father as like a, like a dowry type thing was you'd pay seven years worth of wages. Seven years. And you'd also pay that if you slept with them. If you slept with a, with a, with a woman and you weren't married yet and you hadn't agreed with the dad, 
you might still have to pay the seven years wages and not be married to and carry your life. I tell you what, man, you weren't too ooh la 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 la, ooh la 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 la, frisky, you know what I mean? That wasn't going on because it was like seven years wages. That's a, who wants to work seven years wages for like, I don't know, a couple minutes of, of, of stupidity. So when he goes there, he works all his time for this woman that he loves, gets married, veil, boom, oh my gosh, wrong sister. Like, can you imagine what that's like? I mean, that is like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you, fit, you thought you were ahead by stealing that, by, with that soup joke. Oh yeah, take this, pow. And he's like, what? And then he's fuming at the dad. And the dad's like, well, she's the oldest one. No one's really taking her. So, you know, tough luck. And he's like, what? But I want to marry this one. And so he's like, well, that's another seven years wages. So we're talking like 14 years to get the woman he wants. You know what I mean? And that's a long one. And he's stuck with the one he didn't want for the rest of his life as well. It's like, a, it's like catfish on, on some next levels. It's catfish and you're stuck with a person. You are stuck with them. It's like, yeah, who says the Bible ain't real? So... So it's, it's like a crazy, crazy story. So he gets what's coming to him and it comes back around to Jacob. It's not an easy thing. And so he's told him the birthright. It's come back around. He's now seen what that's kind of like. Um, he's doing really well looking after his dad's, his um, father-in-law's business. The business is booming. Um, he's such a good steward that he, when an animal dies, he doesn't let his, his father-in-law take the hit. He, lets one of, he pretends it's one of his animal that dies and replaces it. He's doing everything he can for this man. He's working really hard because he wants the, the boomting, he wants to marry her, wants to move on with his life. Then when he's done all that, he's saying, listen, I want to go back home now. I don't want to be here with you in your yard for the rest of my life. I want my own MTV Crips. I'm not staying here forever. I need, to, I need to get out of here. I can't do this anymore. And so it comes to a point where he has this kind of conversation, but also he feels afraid because the brothers are saying, look how good he's done off of working for us and getting his own. He started to get his own business going at the same time as ours, and he's doing better than us. So they started to get angry, so he started to fear for his life. So he runs off of everyone, and then they get fuming that he's left without them men out say goodbye to their, da- their daughters, sisters, whatever, and they come charging after him, like um, quite a few man deep, and they, they're, they're chasing this guy. They want to they wanna kill him. They have a, a confrontation where they, they, they sort it all out, and he goes, I was scared you were going to do this, scared you weren't going to let me go, so we just went. You weren't treating me fairly. You were mugging me off. You said you'd promise me these ones if they were born with speckles on the animals, I'd get them. You were hiding them away in the bushes. You were doing all these, like dodgy things to me and you saying I'm doing dodgy do they have this whole thing they sort it all out and in the end he gets to leave with his father-in-law's blessing and now he's returning home so with all this in mind we are getting to his altar we are getting to his altar but his altar makes very little sense without that so he's heading home so when he's heading home he's got Esau in mind so he sends people ahead he goes listen I'm going back there my brother's going to be back there he could still be raging about this he might not have like matured he might not have I don't know how he's grown up. The way he was going, he could be on a real path to being, hmm, wanting to kill me still. So he goes out there with his people, splits into two camps, so that if he loses one, he's still got the other one to run away with. Um, he, he's a really smart thinker. And he sends out these servants, and they say, yeah, we've seen them, we spoke to them and that, but um, they're coming like 400 man deep. And like Jacob is like, oh my gosh, 400 people, 400 men, that's a lot of men. He starts getting really scared about it. Um, he splits them apart, he goes ahead of himself and he kind of like bowing down seven times on the way. He meets his brother and they have this moment where they reconcile, where they hug each other and there's this moment of healing. But there's a distinguishing moment that happens the night before. Before he gets to a place of being able to have reconciliation, Jacob sends his family away, he sends everyone away and he has time alone and he meets with God. 
He meets with God in a really sacred and powerful way. It's a story that I've always loved. It says that Jacob that night wrestled with God. And so an angel of the Lord came. And so an angel, angelic messenger, um, in their culture, in their context, if a king sent a messenger, you would treat the messenger as if he were the king. So um, you treat them with all the respect and the honor. So when he wrestles with this angel, it's as if he wrestles with God. He pays it that kind of respect. That's how they see the world. So Jacob is there. There's this angel here. And they end up having the world's first MMA UFC fight. And there's a lot of grappling going on. There's a lot of um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu on the ground. Um, and the angel, he pops. He pops his hip. And so his hip socket pops and the angel thinks that's it he's going to let go and Jacob won't he's still clinging on he's still wrestling with him still won't let go and then he says let go of me and he says I won't let go of you until you bless me from the first moment he was born and even before in the womb he was wrestling for the birthright blessing in his life he spends his whole life trying to wrestle to get that birthright blessing and here he is with God with angel of the Lord realizing the opportunity and he's like I'm not letting go until I've got my blessing I'm getting this blessing it doesn't matter what it costs me it doesn't matter my hip just been popped you'll give me a blessing before I let go of you and so then what happens is the angel says to him that you have striven with man which he has and won and you've striven with God and won and because of this you will have the name Israel Israel means one who strives with God one who wrestles with God so the people of Israel are literally called one who wrestles with God. And actually, that's what we're called to be. As God's children, whether you call yourself a Christian and you don't associate with the Old Testament too much and you're not too hot on that, actually, God calls you to be Israel. He calls you to be one who wrestles with Him. And so the good thing about Jacob that's different from Esau is when Esau, life doesn't go his way, he lets go of God, doesn't pursue wrestling through the pain, through the situation, for the blessing. But Jacob, that's never been Jacob or about his life. He's wrestled his whole life. He won't let go of God whether he does right or whether he does wrong. Whether he's down in the dumps, he doesn't let go. Whether he's on the highest of heights in business, he doesn't let go. Whether he's not got the woman he wants or he has got the woman he wants, he doesn't let go. Jacob's attitude is always, in every moment of his life, I won't let go until I get the blessing. I won't tap out until I get the blessing. I won't tap out. So this angel's popping his hip like UFC, that's normally when they stop the match, when a dislocation or a leg break, that's it, it's done. Not for Jacob. Not for Jacob. I'm not letting go until you bless me in this. I'm not letting go until I get this change. And so God calls him Israel. Now, what's amazing about this moment is actually the passage carries on talking about Jacob. So he gets the name change there and then in that moment. He gets called Israel. But it hasn't all kind of come to fruition yet. So this has happened where God says you're going to be Israel from now on. But then it carries on, the passage carries on calling him Jacob. It's a strange, strange one. So then we get to Exodus um, chapter 30, 35. So he's met Esau. He's reconciled him. They've hugged it out. So he's faced, the, he's faced up to the pains of his past. The ghost that haunted him, he hasn't left them unannounced. He hasn't left them not dealt with. And so he's faced up to that. And now we find ourselves in chapter 35. And God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Now Bethel is the same place where he met with God when he had Jacob's ladder, um, which is a story where God shows him the promises that he has for him much earlier in his life. Um, Where he sees angels going up and down from heaven. 
Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to God, who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all their foreign gods that they had, all the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under a tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities around them, because a lot of people were after them at that time. So they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people were with him. And there he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed to him himself to him when he fled his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. Um, and God appeared to Jacob again and, he, and, and blessed him. And God said, Your name is Jacob no longer. Your name shall be, you no longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So God, so he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am almighty God, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your body. And the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I'll give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in that place where he'd spoken with him. And Jacob set a pillar in the place where he'd spoken with him of stone. And he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it so that Jacob called that place where God had spoken with him Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel where they still had some distance. And then if you notice the very next time in verse 22, while Israel lived in that land, while Israel lived in that land. So Jacob has this moment, all this stuff has come to pass. And then he says to everyone, you know what? It, it's, it's time that we kind of leave Jacob behind. It's time that, that, that Jacob, the ways that I've, I've lived before, the wrongdoing that I've had, it, it all gets left behind. And so before there was him and his journey with God and he'd had these encounters with God and he'd just carry on doing whatever he did and God would interrupt these moments in his life. In this particular moment is where Jacob now aligns himself with God's plan. It's no longer just Jacob doing his thing and God interrupting his life and causing slight shifts along a particular pattern or a journey. This is where Jacob now aligns his life and he turns around to his, his servants and he says, guys, I've, I've got to let you know about these experiences I've had. I've got to let you know about this place where I've encountered God. I've got to let you know the real reason of why I'm going and where I'm going. I've got to let you know where my family's come from. I've got to let you know the bigger picture and the bigger promise. And he informs all his servants and his slaves of the bigger picture of the situation. And as they hear it, they all come and he goes, we can't be having these foreign gods anymore. And all his servants come and they lay down these idols and then they all come and they start taking out the, the rings that they had that... Uh, that showed their position and their worldview and the connection they had to the, divi- the divine beliefs that they had before them which made the decisions of how they lived their life and one by one they all come and they put it there and they hide it there and in this place he builds this altar where God sends him and when he builds this altar and he pours the water and he pours the oil on this altar this moment kind of happens where he says this life that I had before me is no more and I'm moving ahead to a different way of life and what he also does is, is there's three things and these are the three things I'm going to end with and we're going to finish here is they had a change of gods they all put their gods and their idols aside and then there came a change of clothes so with a change of clothes what happened was all his servants they left these clothes behind because they wanted a visual outward appearance of that life is gone this is a new life I'm moving a different way and I'm not going to look the same anymore I'm not going to be the same as I was yesterday what happened before happened before it's not happening anymore we're moving in a different lane and then there's a change of name and he took on the name Israel and then the people 
all his descendants after him and still today have been called the, the children of Israel because they are children who strive with God, people who know the importance of wrestling with God. I don't know who you are. I don't know your problem. I don't know your pain. I don't know where you've come from. But the call of God is to struggle with him. It's to struggle with him. It's not the call of God isn't like you've got it all together. Everything goes fine in your life and everything's okay. It's not. The call of God is will you hold on to me when your hips dislocated? Will you hold on to me when life's falling apart around you? Will you hold on to me when, when things aren't going the way you want, where you've, been, where you've been conned? Will you hold on to me when you're conning people, when you're wronging people? Because let's not act like we're, we're righteous this morning and we're better than anyone else. We're not. Will you hold on to God when you've been a mug and you feel convicted about your own stupidity and how you've treated others so badly yourself? Will you still hold on to him then? Will you get carried on in that wave? Will you hold on to him when others wrong you and they cause you the deep pain and the longing? So God's people were called Israel because of that. They wronged people and people wronged them. But no matter what they did or what happened to them, they clung on to him. And so this pillar, this blessing is a place where they came, they changed their view of their gods, they changed their outward appearance, their clothes, and there's a change of name. And that is why Israel is called that today. And God calls us to be that. There's a thing about this story that tells us about who God is, which I want to end on. Um, Rabbi Simon says this, When a man shoots an arrow, how far will it travel? Over one or two fields. The power of repentance is so great, however, that it reaches the throne of glory. And archery was used as a term to describe sin, that we missed the target, we couldn't get it far enough. And he goes, oh, don't worry about getting your actions far enough to God. Just repent to him. And when you repent to him, it's like the arrow makes it all the way into the heavens. And it finishes It finishes there in its destination. And that is the promise of God. And that is what he does for us. The thing about God in this passage is, whether whoever's wrong in who, doesn't matter. What we see is that God cannot resist repentance. It's like as soon as a person shows a sign of going, I'm going to change, I want to walk a different way, it's like God is a schoolboy in a, in, in a candy shop. He can't. It's, it doesn't matter if it's a trap. It doesn't matter if it's like the devil waiting, I'm going to crucify this you. <laughs> He's straight in there for this repentance. He hears the call of man repenting. He's straight in there. And he brings resurrection out of it. He brings new life out of it. He brings change out of it. Father God, I just pray that today you would meet with each and every single one of us. Um, may we... Um, realize that in so many ways we are like Jacob and in so many ways we're like Esau. When things go wrong in our lives, we kind of just are ready to abandon everything and just choose the wrong path just because things hurt. Maybe be like Jacob who just wrestles with you no matter whether it hurts us or whether we're hurting others. Um, may we cling to you and learn what it means to be the children of Israel, people who struggle with God, not people who understand God, not people who've got it all together in their beliefs, their understandings, their way of life, but people who hold on to you until they see that place, that fullness of time where you bring restoration, where you bring understanding, when you bring a solution to our problems. Um, In Jesus' name, would you be with us this week and would you help us to teach those around us um, to wrestle with God? I just want to encourage you guys with one final thought. There was a girl years ago that I met, not in a Christian setting, in a kind of work setting, and she was... She had loads of stuff going on in her life that I, I can't repeat that was really just messed up. And I was in a one-to-one situation with her, isolation, um, off-site, and I was told to give her lunch. They hadn't given her lunch, so I had to take this like, teenage girl to a coffee shop. I, I was so scared. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it. I'm going to look like a pedo. My life is over. My career's over. I won't be able to work with young people anymore. And we're sitting there. We're walking along. And she kept on calling me Jesus because I had like this long tied back hair, top knot and that, the beard. And she kept calling me Jesus, Snapchatting her, chilling with Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And it was really kind of funny. And then there came this moment where she goes like, oh, do you believe in God then, Jesus? And I was like, well, yeah, I, I run a church in my spare time. She's like, no way. I was like, yeah, totes. So we got chatting about it and she goes, I really struggle with God. And then I went, oh yeah, me too. 
and she freaked out. She went, if you're struggling with God and you run a church, we're all screwed. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, totally. Because the thing is, I struggle with God. I keep a hold of him until something changes. And I told her the story of Jacob. And she was like, oh, that's so cool. And do you know what? Another member of staff told me they heard her, that she told them that through her struggles, through her pain, she started praying. And she started struggling with God for herself. And her whole life started to change. And her behavioral issues were up here, which is why she was with me, off-site, one-to-one. Started to go down. Never got excluded like that for, I think, about a year after. Um, whole life changed. Because when you cling onto him like Jacob, it helps you to process when people wrong you, and it helps you to process when you wrong others. May you be blessed this week. Amen. Amen. Cool.